This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. You know, in my study time of Genesis, especially during our time of fasting and prayer, in my study time of Genesis, you know, it's just so amazing to see God commanding purpose, right? It's, it's an awesome thing to see. And, you know, going through Genesis again, you know, we see him creating the, the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, every creeping thing, all the plants, all the trees, all the fruit. And what's so amazing to me is that he gave each and every one of those things a purpose. And you have to think about it, right? There's so many different species of fish, so many different types of trees, so many types of creeping, but he gave them all a purpose. And that's what's so amazing to me. So last night while I was studying, right, I had a peach. You know, we are on a fast, right? So I had a peach and I was eating. It's a big peach, too. Big, plump peach, sweet peach, messy peach. You know, I had, I had a peach and, you know, I ate it. And when I got through, I mean, I cleaned it. And all you saw there was a seed. And so, and this is why I love my fasting time. God's talking about, I'm going to speak to you through everything, right? So I see the seed here, and I'm talking to my wife, and I'm just like, look at this. I said, this seed is, I said, I want to plant this seed. I said, this seed, this seed right here is pretty. I want to plant this seed. Of course, you know, I didn't, I didn't plant it. I ended up throwing it away. But then I began to think about it, and I was talking to my wife about it. I was like, so what would happen if this seed wasn't harvested, right? Because God has purpose on everything. What would happen if this seed wasn't harvested? So I went through a couple of scenarios. I said, you know, this peach would have fell to the ground, and maybe an animal would have came, would have ate the flesh of it, and then there's the seed. And the seed would have gotten the ground, germinated itself again, and began to grow. I said, okay, here's another instance. Let's say it fell to the ground and not an animal came and ate it, but some insects would have came. They would have ate the flesh, the seed would have gotten the ground, and began to grow. And so I came to this conclusion, right? I said, well, it really doesn't matter who harvests it. It doesn't matter what insects come and eat it or don't come, what animals come and don't come and eat it. Because if that same piece of fruit, that same peach was to fall to the ground, eventually the flesh would rot away, the seed would germinate itself, it'll get in the ground and begin to grow. And I begin to think, well, the only reason it's going to do that is because it has God's purpose on it. It has God's command on it. God has placed an order of worship over this earth. And everything he's created follows it, except man. Everything he created follows that order of worship, except man. Because, you see, the seed has enough sense to get in the ground and grow. It's not the problem with the seed. The seed knows what it's supposed to do. God gave the seed. It's not the problem with the seed. See, the problem is, understand this, right? God has placed the seed in you. The seed of Christ. That's what's inside of you. Blessed are they that hear the word and keep it. These are they which seed are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, receive it, and become fruitful. See, there's the issue right there, right? we and our families of today, we're not receiving the word. We're not becoming fruitful. Because just like that peach seed, the word knows what it's going to do. It came to do what it was set out to do. It is the seed. It was given by God. 
but we have to receive it so that we're able, so that we're fit, so that we're able to subdue and have dominion, so that we become fruitful. After all, we said, remember, the, the purpose of the family is to, to develop emotionally and spiritually established believers who in turn gets God's redemptive plan done. But you can only do that if you're fruitful. If you keep God's purpose on your mind. If that's the first and foremost thing on your mind. So to be fruitful, we have to understand what His purpose is for us. So again, we've been talking on what God's purpose and intended position of the family is. And I'm doing my part, which I said is to conduct government or operate it for the glory of God as His representatives on earth or to subdue and have dominion. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. And I've, I've been having such a great time in Genesis. I mean, his redemptive plan is done in Genesis. That's the work of our God right there. So Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 26 through 28. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And again, we have to, I have to mention that every time. God said, let us make man in our image. That means the, the, the Trinity had a, they put their, the, everybody had a part to do in creation. Because it was all about God's redemptive plan. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them, you see that purpose right there? Anyway. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. See, that, that, that's the issue right there. We just want to multiply. But God said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea. And over the fowl of the air. And over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So we saw his command there. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue and have dominion. So we looked at those two words, subdue and dominion. And we gave definition to them. We said subdue was to keep under or to make subservient. Or to force submission. To take control of a hostile country. That was my favorite part of that definition. And we said dominion was a royal term, as in a dominating rule or a king or mastery, or to have lordship over, or to govern. And we said the dominion was given to us to set in order all of God's creation to maintain the worship and glorifying of God throughout all of creation. But this first starts with us individually. We are God's little worlds that he was created, that he's created. And though our flesh doesn't communicate with God, our spirit does. So our spirit, man, is to subdue those fleshy members. Take control of that hostile nation of your flesh so that we are able to have dominion and rule as God's representatives. And we saw later in Genesis chapter 2, and we'll read it again, starting at verse 15. Let's see, 2 and 15, and let me read. And the Lord God took, took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of, garden, of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help me. See, we, we see it right there. It was too much for Adam to do alone. And God knew this because we saw back in Genesis 1, male and female created he them. He already knew. God's redemptive plan had already, listen, he already knew. 
He said that what the male lacked, the female had for him to complete. What the female lacked, what the, what the woman lacked, the man had for him to complete, for her to complete. And when woman was created, thus the family was established. See, because God's redemptive plan is to get done through the family. So through this, we understand that the family as God purposed it is essential if man is to subdue and have dominion over all fleshly things, including their own flesh. The family is to teach the practical knowledge of God and how to apply his word in your everyday life. Understand this. If the family doesn't do this, the only thing that your family will know is the flow of this world. That's it. It's either God or this world. And if you're not loving God, you're loving the ways of this world. But God does have an answer to the flow of this world. Let's go ahead and turn over to Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to read verse 22 through 24 just to give us the, you know, show us the end from the beginning, right? Give the answer to the flow of this world. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. There's your answer. It's love. And everything that falls under that fruit of the Spirit. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And only by possessing these qualities are we made fit to subdue and have dominion. To be his covenant agents. To be his representatives. But so many of these qualities are missing from the home today. Because everybody's focused on the lust of their flesh. Society as a whole is suffering because everybody is focusing on the lust of their flesh. So we said it's important that we, we go over these lusts of the flesh and, and figure out these characteristics so that when we see them in our home, we can stop them immediately instead of letting them develop and manifest themselves later in our life, leaving us unfit, unable to subdue and have dominion. So I'm going to read Galatians 5 verse 19 before we get so I want to kind of get to where we left off. So we have gone through, now the works of the, man of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, and this is where we left off, envyings and murders. Now, there's a reason I'm putting these two together, envyings and murders. And for those who have not been here for family life, you know, since we started the purpose of the family, and I'm talking back about back when Minister Martin started and Minister Stinson, and then when I started six weeks ago, if you haven't been here for all of those, you must go back and listen to every single one if you want to collect the knowledge. Because here's the thing about it, right? You come in and get you your little one time, your word a la carte, right? And then it works for you that one time, and then when something else comes up, you're like, well, let me do this again, and it doesn't work. That's because you missed a piece of the puzzle. You got to go back and get that piece. And even if you did come and you heard everyone, I'm telling you, it's so hard. Listen, I've been on my portion for six weeks. I can't tell you what happened six minutes ago unless I keep it inside of me, unless I keep going back to it. So if you leave something, if you leave something and, and don't go back to it and keep putting it back inside of you, I'm telling you, you're going to forget it. That's part of renewing your mind. So, envyings and murders. And I'm going to start with envy. So, the envy, envy is the Greek word phanos. 
it's real. It's it's a tough word. I should get it because I, I went to school in Pflugerville, right? But Pathanos. It's P H T H O N O S. Again, it's P H T H O N O S. And this word implies a deeply felt grudge because someone else possesses something that you wish to have. It, it's all. It, it's getting the joy at somebody else's misfortune. That's what that means. It, it makes you happy to see somebody else failing because you want what they have. So because this person who feels envy, they have a, they have a chip on their shoulder. Like I said, they begrudge the person who has what they, they figure is what they want. You know, or they've accomplished something that they want to accomplish, or they have a relationship that they want to have, or they have a title or a position in, in society that they want to have. That's what happens when envy does. It's the phys- like I said, it's the physical trait of being glad at someone else's misfortune or pain. Every time you see that person, you inwardly, you inwardly just you itch at their success, their success, because it's what you want. It's something you desire. Mind you, you don't have the ethic, the work ethic, or the effort inside of you to get it on your own. You just want to watch them and be mad about it. Let's turn to John chapter 11. We're going to look at envy. John chapter 11, and I'm going to start at verse 47. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. Now, miracles right now. Who who thinks miracles are a bad thing? Nobody in this room. Okay, keep following me. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. There it is. See, there's something that you're desiring, right? Because we all just said, there's nothing wrong with miracles. Oh, by the way, they're talking about Jesus right here. They're talking about Jesus. Let's keep reading. Verse 49. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for the nation only, but that also he should gather together in one, of, in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. That's envy right there. <laughs> See, they, they were envious of the claim that Jesus was gaining. They felt they needed to get rid of the competition. Because, let me tell you, we just said it. There's nothing wrong with the miracles. Listen, Christ being accepted into our heart is a miracle. And that's all Christ was doing. He was, he was sent to save the lost. And they got upset with it. This is the type of way that envy reacts. Remember we, we, we spoke about it a couple weeks ago about being moved to envy. We were talking about Joseph and his brothers. Envy reacts and it leads to murder. And it's so interesting because that's why I'm putting these two together. Envyings and murders. When you look in the original Greek, murder doesn't show up in Galatians 5. It's just envyings. 
And when you get to the King James Version, murder show up. So I had to look into this, and I'm like, well, how come it doesn't show up in the original? And the only thing, I want everybody to say, say this is what Brother Isaac came up with. Because I want y'all to understand this. The only thing that I could perceive is, this type of envying leads to murders. That's the only thing that I could get out of it. Because, and you can do the research on your own if you don't believe me. Murders does not show up in the original Greek. But it was placed here for a specific reason. See, one who, who has envy will use other people as stepping stones, right? To get what they want to be. In terms of money, prestige, or power. This is one who can use and abuse a person, get what they want, and then discard them as trash afterwards. That's the same thing as murder. Discarding someone. Because remember, murder is not just a physical act. Somebody can be moved with envy so much that you can assassinate somebody's character. That's murder. They'll, they'll attempt to mess up someone's reputation permanently with exaggerations. They'll stretch the truth, which makes it a lie. So they'll, they'll attempt to mess up somebody's reputation with a lie. They'll start meaningless arguments around other people just so that you can get riled up and ruin your character in front of somebody else. That's what envy does. Just try to push somebody's but Poke the bear, right? Just try to push somebody's button so they can get you riled up and, and, and bring reproach on your own character because they don't want to see you lifted up. They become an instigator at every turn just to see somebody else's demise. They'll, they'll instigate things between two people just because even if it doesn't have anything to do with him, if, it has any, if they're doing something and they can interfere with their own agenda, I'll instigate something between those two and it has nothing to do with me. Because I have an agenda. Because I see something that I want and I need to get there any means necessary, no matter who, is, who has to pay for it. Because I'm discarding them anyway. I'm murdering them anyway. You, you may have seen this at work, at church, in your homes. Envying is so subtle. And, and if you can't pinpoint it out, you know, envying to the, that, that produces murder, let me give you some signs. Here's an easy sign. If you, if, if you see someone or a child, not even just a child, but someone, an adult, who's never grateful, can't express their gratitude, but can easily express their desires, they're on the road to envy. If not, they're already. This is, that's someone who can't be content. That's someone who doesn't see the eternal in everything. Just the temporal. Just what they can get on this side. Fleshly desires. You think about a child who always gets what they want from their parents, but they're never truly grateful. Keep asking for more and more things because they're not grateful. They're not content. And it's probably because they've seen something else that somebody else has and they want it. Haven't been taught to be content with your place in life. 
Now that same child or person, they'll grow up where if they're already grown, they'll go out into the workplace and then when they express their need or desire for something and someone else has it and they don't get their way, they'll move with murder to get it. Oh, I've seen people in the workforce do all types of things. All types of things. Just try to get this person moved out so I can be the next in line. Oh, we're competitive, right? Because what is it all about, right? I, I see it so much, right, from like friends and family members on, on, on Facebook. They're like, oh, thank God I got a promotion. Oh, this person was up against me, but they got moved around. Thank God for this promotion. But I'm like, why don't you just thank God for Jesus and that would be the end of it? Because what if you didn't get that promotion? Would your thanks stop? Are you not content with what God has brought to you, uh, delivered to you? The attitude starts at home. It's called spoiled rotten. That's the attitude. It's an entitled attitude. Mixed with a lack of contentment and a lack of work ethic. Then you write, you're, you're right down that road to envy. And murders. Turn to First Timothy. And I'm going to go to chapter 6. And I'm just going to read verses 3 through 6. And it says, If any man teach otherwise, and can sit not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes, words whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men and corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. See, so check your entitled attitude at the door. When you feel like somebody owes you something, check that attitude at the door. Check your lazy attitude. Check your, your, work, your, your lack of ethic, your, your work ethic. Check that at the door. Then, look, put forth the correct effort and get what you, need, what you want done, done. Listen, to subdue, you must be content and grateful for your position in life. That brings great gain. It just said, godliness plus contentment brings great gain. Otherwise, you'll become spoiled and result to envyings and murders, leaving you unfit. Let's go back to Galatians 5. All righty. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, drunkenness. Now that word drunkenness is from the Greek word methe, that's M-E-T-H-E. And it just refers to strong drink or being drunk. We all know what being drunk is, right? (laughs) So understand this, during this time in the Bible, there were many pagan religions going on. And they use wine as part of their religious practice. We talked about a little bit of it uh, with witchcraft. But there was a specific religion that came up in my study called Bacchos, right? That's B-A-C-C-H-O-S. It was a popular religion practiced in the times of the Bible. 
And this was the worship of the god Bacchus, or the Greek called him Dionysus. This is the god of wine, intoxication, ritual madness, ritual ecstasy. So once the worshippers of this god were completely drunk, they would throw off all their restraints. They would fully yield themselves to every temptation of the flesh. Nothing was off limits. They would take place in the most vulgar excess, most, most disgusting and gross. Well, we would say, oh, that's a gross sin. We know it's sin is sin to God, but in our minds, they would take place in what? They would see that line, they'd cross that line, and then they'd run at full speed trying to get, stay away from the line. They'd cross it, and no looking back. That's the type of worship that they had. And that was the deliberate goal of this, of this religion. They would try to experience a realm of excess never before tasted to man. You know, that, that forbidden fruit. Just like in the garden. It's always been forbidden fruit. Thank God for his restoration process, but that trail of the serpent, it's always about that forbidden fruit. But again, that was the deliberate goal of this religion. They would take place in, they would take part in these perverted and shameless orgies, and people would fornicate, and as, as they would, the priests would play their instruments, which would add to them in this trance in the, of their uncontrolled emotions and their passions of the moment. See, the thing about flesh is when it becomes in, absorbed with drunkenness, it's willing to lose the ability to think rationally, it's willing to be led to devastating excess. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, a couple pages over. I'm going to read verses 14 through 21. Wherefore, he saith, Awake you that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but be understanding, what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, that word back in verse, what is that? Verse 18, excess. That's the Greek word, Asotia. That's A-S-O-T-I-A. Which when literally translated means one who has lost his ability to save or spare himself. Excess. Asotia. A-S-O-T-I-A. One who has lost his ability to save or to spare himself. This is the person that will waste life. This is the person that will squander their money. This is the person that will over and over continually to desecrate their body. Because they're drunk. Not sober minded. Can't think straight. You think of one who's caught up in homosexuality, right? Who's giving themselves over to drunkenness. Because in all my years and dealing with people in homosexuality and things like that and talking to them and knowing people, people in my family and things like that, all of them usually have an alcohol problem, some sort of drug problem, because they can't stay sober-minded. Because normally your mind in the state that it's supposed to be in, that it's purpose to be in, it wouldn't dare go across that line. It's a state of drunkenness. 
excess, unable to spare yourself. So willing to lose the ability to spare yourself that it... Let me, let me tell you like this. Drunkenness is trusting that is what... I'm sorry. Trusting is, drunkenness is trusting in what enables your flesh as your influence. Amen. Drunkenness is trusting in what enables your flesh as your influence. So, we're talking about being drunk. So you are under the influence of whatever is enabling your flesh. That's what drunkenness is. And under that influence of your flesh, any and everything can and will happen. Like I said, the, the ones who practice that religion... They did. The, they went to the extremes. They saw the line. They went past it, and you could. They were so far past that line; it was non-existent. But we're to subdue our members. Once we do that, we're under the influence of the spirit. That's the only influence I want to be under. Got to be sober-minded. But a drunken state, it suppresses your mind to think correctly. It releases the flesh to fully express itself, to have excess, leaving you unfit to subdue, unfit to have dominion. Oh, but Brother Isaac, it's not wrong to be drunk. Well, first off, because you have to hear what your spiritual ear, we're not just talking about alcohol, we're talking about being sober-minded. You could be drunk with the flow of this world. Caught up. But we can talk about alcohol too. Because what's the point of alcohol? It's to change you, right? To, to, to make you different. It's, not, it's, to, it's to change your feeling, right? What's the word when it changes your feeling? Drunk? Intoxicated? That's the point of it. So if you drink it, you're trying to do something. Don't tell me you drink it for the taste. You're trying to you're trying to get certain things out your mind so you can live in that excess. So that you can do what you want to do in excess. And blot out the word of God. Because when you're drunk and not sober minded, you can't hear God. So that's what you're doing. You're blotting out. You're blotting out God trying to speak to you. And trust this. He's speaking. You just can't hear him. Leaving you unfit. Unable to subdue. And have dominion. So the works of the flesh are manifest. And I made great timing. Thank God. Manifest which are these. And we are down to the last one. Revelings. We can go back to Galatians. I'm sorry. Galatians 5. Couple pages back to the left. Revelings. Now this comes from the Greek word komoi. That's K-O-M-O-I. And this was interesting. This took a little extra effort on my part. It's interesting because that word komoi means a festival or merrymaking, right? Nothing wrong with that, right? Nothing wrong with merrymaking. We wish you a Merry Christmas, right? Ain't nothing wrong with merrymaking or a festival, right? 
So most who see this word reveling, they start to liken it to the word drunkenness or street fights or those who run from party to party and just, just party all day. And how many of us in here would, would agree and say, I, I think that's, that may be what it means for reveling. Anybody? I, I know we all smart in here. Just don't say nothing until we... I know. I, 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 I get it. I get it. Who, who, else, who raised their hand over there I saw? Revelings. So we're going to find out what reveling really is. Let's take a look. So the word komoi describes a person who can't bear the thought of boredom. They always seek different forms of amusement or entertainment. Now, there's nothing wrong with amusement. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. Nothing. But this person is actually afraid of being still and learning. Because it might change their life. And they might have to give up some things that they're just not willing to, to let go yet. So they constantly contemplate, what can I do next to have fun and, and entertain myself and occupy this time with? You can occupy that time with the Word. You are a believer, right? That word Kamoi refers to a person that always has to be the life of the party. Always has to keep the party going. Always has to drink the most. Always has to eat the most. Always has to make everyone laugh the most. Listen, let me clear this up with you. Isaac means laughter. There's nothing wrong with laughter. Nothing wrong with laughter. The problem is, though, like with this person, they're consumed with the need for it. They're consumed with their need for fun. They're consumed with their need for pleasure. Entertainment or eating. Consume with it. That you have no time for God. You don't want time for God. Because God's going to change you in those areas. And you, like I said, you're not willing to give those areas up. That's revelings. Let's turn to Second Timothy. You know, always waiting for the next game to come out. You gamers, you video game people that are like, ooh, this game coming out. Waiting for that next game to come out. Uh, always waiting for the next season to come out. You know, you sports fans. Can't wait to start throwing your parties all day long and inviting whoever. Missing church, missing the word because I'm not ready to give that up. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power of God, the power thereof, from such, turn away. There it is right there. That's what reveling is. Right there in verse, verse 4. A, a reveling or one that, a reveler, they're a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God. 
They exalt their pleasure over the knowledge of God. It's the unrestrained seeking of your carnal pleasures. Because we all have carnal pleasures, but it's the unrestrained seeking of it. That's reveling. Lovers of pleasure will be preoccupied with new methods to alleviate their boredom. Life will come so soft and so cushiony and so appealing that people will just be lazy. They start to take unwarranted time off work. That's reveling. You live on borrowed money. That's reveling. You're walking as close as you can to the line between your Christianity and judgment. And all the while you're thinking this is the normal way to live because this is the way the world is living. This is the flow of the world. See, the flesh wants you to escape responsibility. It wants you to avoid the true purpose of life. It wants you to thrive on fun. And if you let your flesh lead you, you will end up wasting your time, your talents, your money, your energy, all on things that are not eternal. And when you do that, that means you'll never see those things again. It's wasted. You spend all your time watching TV, like I said, talking about the next movie or next game coming out, instead of the next word that God has for your life to change you. You spend all your time going to clubs or parties or drinking. Spending all your money eating out. And then at the end you have nothing to show for it but your credit card debt and a life in shambles and a family that's unable to submit, unable to subdue, unable to have dominion. And then you'll hold those credit card debts in your hand and one day realize this is all I got to show for myself. I have no spiritual growth. I'm not ready to be effective for his use, which means I'm not on purpose. I'm not living on purpose. I'm purposeless. Just for a few fleeting moments of pleasure. See, all your flesh wants you to do is say, It's going to feel good. Come on. It's okay. I know you probably shouldn't do it, but just this one more time. Besides, you don't have nothing else to do. Just going to be sitting around at the house, right? Listen, there's plenty to do at the house. Your family's at the house. No wonder they're unfit. So the next time, you know, if you run into that issue and your flesh says, it's boring, there's nothing to do, I need to get out, I need to do something, remember God's purpose. Remember His plans for you and the family. So that we're all able to subdue and have dominion over this hostile nation of our flesh and be His representatives on this earth. Amen?
You can be dismissed. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net. Thank you.